I, I want to to leave and leave something with with really our men, although I think all of us could find truth in that. Um, I'm on a crusade of sorts, if you will. Part of it is we we had our session uh, oh last month or so when we broke up and had ladies upstairs, men. We met downstairs on Wednesday nights, and. Uh, I kind of opened that session up and that that series up by this. It's amazing the assault on men and masculinity that our society has put. I'm not excusing boorish behavior. I'm not excusing men who have crossed the line. I'm not excusing men who have not conducted themselves right. All of that's wrong. In fact, I'm amazed at how much the Bible tells men how we should act. Um, I mean, just the simple phrase, the, the simple verse that says it would be, Paul said, it'd be good for, for a man not to touch a woman. Of course, he's talking about outside the bonds of marriage, but you, you take that, and I made, made uh, mention of uh, Mike, Mike Pence, our vice president, and how uh, when, when, when they were doing the uh, election, he, uh, it came out that he would not be in a room alone with a lady that was not his wife, and man, the the media skewered him and made fun of him for that that stand. But yet, in the same breath, they're they're upset that we have uh, people like uh, Bill Cosby who has taken advantage and others that have gone. and And so, on one hand, they vilify uh, men who cross the line, but they make fun of men who hold the line. And I believe that the greatest thing that this society needs is godly men and Holy Ghost filled men. Uh, I believe that with all my heart. And in fact, this the last service we had in Arkansas, I, I had to take a moment and talk to, we, we do children's camps. And so uh, we were in Mississippi preaching uh, two weeks ago, Arkansas last week. And we preach their camps. We have a blast. It's so much fun. But we watch these kids respond. They're filled with the Holy Ghost. They're touched by God. Some of them feel that call. But I made sure the very last service there in Arkansas, I talked to, the, to those young men, ages 8 to 12. And I reminded them that the greatest thing they can ever do in their life is lift up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. And um, so I want to I really talk to the, to the men here today. Uh, but in doing so, ladies, I'm sure there'll be something you can take out of it. So uh, maybe I can help you, ladies. Uh, I found a, a, you know, we have Google Translate. You have all these other translations. Well, I found a men speech translation. And so, um, ladies, let me help translate this. My wife didn't think it was very funny, but I thought it was hilarious. So, I whatever. Um, when a man says it would take too long to explain. What they mean is, I have no idea how it works. When the man says, take a break, honey, you're working too hard. What he means is, I can't hear the game over the vacuum cleaner. When a man says, that's interesting, dear. What he means is, are you still talking? When a guy says it's a guy thing, what he means is there is no rational thought pattern connected to this and you have no chance at all of making it logical. When a man says, can I help you with dinner? What he really means is, why isn't it ready yet? Some of this uh, hit a little too close to home 
for me. When a man says, "Uh uh-huh, sure, honey, or yes, dear, what he means is absolutely nothing. It's a conditioned response. When a man says, you know how bad my memory is, what he means is, I remember every deer I harvested, every bass that I caught, I remember the scores of the last 10 baseball games and the vehicle identification number of every car I've ever owned, but I don't know when your birthday is. This one might be me to a T. When a man says, don't fuss, I I cut myself, it's just a small cut, it's no big deal. What he means is, I've probably severed a limb and I will bleed to death before I admit I'm hurt, so please come over here and help me now. My wife hasn't walked back in yet, but this is our relationship summed up. When a man says, I can't find it, what he means is, it did not fall into my outstretched hand, so I'm completely clueless. Can all the ladies say amen? When a man says, I heard you, what he means is, I haven't the foggiest clue what you just said, and I'm hoping desperately that I can fake it well enough that you will not spend the next three days yelling at me. When a man says, you look terrific, what he means is, please don't try on one more outfit, we're late and I'm starving. When a man says, I don't remember saying that, what he means is, anything I may have said six months ago is inadmissible in this argument. In fact, all past comments become null and void after seven days. (laughs) When the man says, I'm not lost, I know exactly where we are, what he really means is, no one will ever see us alive again. When uh, a man says, that's not what I meant, what he means is, if something I said can be interpreted two ways, and one of the ways makes you sad or angry, that's not the one I want. I want the other one. And if your husband says, what color is this? Please, for the love of all things good and holy, understand that men are kind of like the Windows default settings. We only see in 16 colors. Peach is a fruit, not a color. Pumpkin is a fruit, not a color. And we have no idea what taupe is. I found a few quotes, Uh, it's an unknown, I don't know who said it, but somebody had recorded a quote of a child that says, Dad, you're the coolest, like all the times when you said yes and Mom said no. I don't know that I've reached this point exactly, but John Sinor said it's admirable for a man to take his son fishing, but there's a special place in heaven for a father who takes his daughter shopping. I haven't got to that place yet. And then Kathy Laidman said it this way, if you wanted to torture my dad, tie him up and right in front of him, refold a map incorrectly. Today we've chosen the, the theme, superheroes. And I will have to admit, in fact, I made sure I'm not the expert on superheroes. For that, you'll have to turn to Brother Dale, Brother Jeremy, Brother Jonathan, and they can give you a very detailed lecture. I've heard it many times at the end of services. They can give you a very detailed lecture on superheroes. But I came across some traits of superheroes. By no means is this an exhaustive list. But when I began to think of superheroes, I came up with some traits that perhaps maybe if I could put a a very broad blanket statement, every superhero must possess these traits. First, if you're going to be a superhero, you got to have extraordinary abilities and powers. Well, except Batman, because he's not a superhero, because he just is rich and can afford cool clothes. 
But usually the power comes from something. It's, it's Superman's uh, uh, leaving his world and coming here and gaining power from our sun. It's, it's a radioactive spider bite or an explosion of radioactive material that gives them that ability, that superpower, that something that is different from just ordinary men. Superheroes have to be knowledgeable. It's not enough just to be the fastest. It's not enough just to be the strongest. You've got to have some wisdom. You've got to have some knowledge in how that goes. Mental stability. It's, it's amazing when you start looking at all of the, the, the kind of the, the, the superhero stories. And I know there's, there's many, many universes and different things. But uh, when, the thing about a, a superhero is, if I'm thinking about Superman, to me, Superman is just invincible. Nothing ever hits him. But yet every story I've ever seen, every story I've ever read of Superman contains challenges even to the superheroes. Superman's home world was lost along with his loved ones. Spider-Man's uh, 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 uncle or, or, or had, had died. Batman's parents had died. Flash's mom had died. They experienced destruction. They experienced pain. The responsibilities of, uh, of what they do weighs on them. And, and I, I would guess that if I could take it out of the, the, the fictional world and put it into the real world, mental stability is crucial for a superhero. The pressure that they're under to save the world a million times over. Have you ever thought about how many times New York City has been blown up or destroyed and yet it always gets rebuilded back in, a, oh, you know, just a couple days it seems. They have strong moral codes. And again, I'm speaking very broadly. I know that, that there's different uh, uh, genres of comics and cartoons and superheroes and different storylines. But for the most part, they have strong moral codes. And I, I know Long Ranger's not a, a superhero, but I'm, I, I go back to the Long Ranger who could shoot in an episode 150 times and no one ever dies. How many times the superheroes, they don't necessarily kill their enemy. They just fight them over and over. It's a moral code. and They have a great sense of responsibility. What's the famous line? With great power comes great responsibility. Superheroes are motivated by something extraordinary. This one, I, I'm a very... I don't know. My, when, I, when I watch something or read something, my brain probably works different from y'all. I watch poor Spider-Man get thrown through buildings, and I'm trying to figure out how he can, the, the physical limitations of the body can survive, you know, all of that. And you got to be prepared to deal with pain if you're a superhero. You're going to be uh, beat up every day. Pain is going to be part of your life, and uh, you're, you're, you're going to hurt. And it doesn't matter if you're Superman. You still watch Superman bruised. You still watch Superman hurt. They must be courageous, that strong ability to face their fears. That very fine line between stupidity and courage. Courage is not the lack of fear, but instead it's the willingness to confront fear and a fighting spirit. Every story I've ever read of superheroes, no matter what power that they have, there's always that moment where that superhero fails. But yet, you must get back up again. Somebody said it this way. 
when you're young, you think your dad is Superman, and when you grow up, you realize he's just a regular guy that wears a cape. Another child said, some people don't believe in heroes, but they've never met my dad. I begin to look at those superhero traits, and as I begin to look at them, I begin to realize that those same traits must be present in every father today, in every husband today, and even in every man. The first is that extraordinary ability and power. And I made the statement to you guys a few weeks ago. I made the statement that you could possibly be a good dad without God. You might could be a good uh, worker, you know, employee without God. You could possibly be a good husband without God. But why would you even want to walk down that road without the power that God gives you through His Spirit? I know it may seem cliche, but I believe this with all of my heart, that in order for us men to be men, you've got to make sure that you've tapped into a greater power than yourself, a greater power than just your own understanding. It's, it's Acts chapter 1 that says you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. I challenge you today that if you've not received the Holy Ghost, if you've not operated and walked in that spirit, then you are trying to be a father, a husband, a man with one arm tied behind your back. It's Isaiah chapter 40 that says this, Have you not known, have you not heard? That God is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not go faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. To him who has no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. The young men shall fall exhausted. But they that wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not. One of the things you can do in, in, in Bible study is go get you a concordance. You can go online now. You can Google it. You, you look at how many places in the Bible, especially in the Psalms, where it will make statements such as this. Uh, Psalms 18 and 1. I love you, O Lord, my Strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold. It's Psalms 118 and verse 14. The Lord is my strength and my song. He's become my salvation. I know it's cliche, but it never should ever escape you that without him, you're nothing. My strength comes from the Lord. My strength to be a husband, my strength to be a father, my strength to be a man comes from God himself. Not only do superheroes have the power, but they must have the knowledge. It's James chapter 1 verse 5. It's one of the only, from what I understand, there's only two prayers in the Bible that the answer will always be yes. The first one is can I have salvation? The answer is always going to be yes. The second is this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. That's the, the, the principle 
to see it in action, you'd have to find in 2 Chronicles chapter 1 that prayer of Solomon when God said to Solomon, ask what I shall give you. And Solomon thought for a moment, pondered it. It's a blank check perhaps, if you will. Instead, he said, what I want more than anything is for you to give me knowledge and wisdom to govern your people. God came back and said, because you've asked that. You didn't ask for possessions. You didn't ask for wealth. You didn't ask for honor. You didn't ask for the life of those that hate you. You didn't even ask that you live a long life. You asked for wisdom. And because of that, I will give you wisdom and I will give you knowledge and everything else will fall into place. Just this week, with my own children, I was making a decision and trying to think and I happened to just stop for a moment and say, God, what should I do? And God very ser- simply and very clearly said, this is what you need to do. It's hard enough to raise kids. It's hard enough to be a husband. It's hard enough to have a household. Can you imagine doing it without the wisdom of the one who knows the end from the beginning? To have, uh, if, you could, if you could walk into your job and, and have a, a magic eight ball that could show you every step you needed to take for that job to succeed, you'd be stupid not to take it. Why would you ever try to do it without the knowledge that God gives? That mental stability. Um, you probably have heard me say at times when it comes to parenting, I now know why some children or why some uh, animals eat their young. Any of you parents ever had those moments in life? Doesn't matter if they're a toddler. Thank you, Brother Neely, for being honest. It doesn't matter if they're a toddler. It doesn't matter if they're in grade school. It doesn't matter if they're a young person. It doesn't matter if they're a young adult. You need that mental stability. We joke about it. We laugh about it. But marriage is hard. It takes a strong mind to get it. In James chapter 1, verse 5, if we continue the thought we did for knowledge, it says, not only if you lack wisdom, ask God, but he says, let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave on the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person would not receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. I have had long conversations with the Harrahs, especially Brother Jonathan with my son with others and, and we have fun talking about superheroes and I make fun of Spider-Man because every Spider-Man I've ever known cries a lot and he's always wondering how it's going to be and I'm trying to put myself in his shoes and say man if I could sling webs and go anywhere I wanted to go who cares about school and, and you know all of that he It's hard to live in two worlds sometimes. It's hard as parents to put our kids in a world that its moral moral code has hit the gutter. It's hard to walk in two worlds, but you cannot be a double-minded man. Can I just encourage you today, don't take your uh, uh, gauge from what the world says a man should be. But instead, would you take your gauge from what God's word says a man should be? Got to have a strong moral code. Men, we must be holy. 
I know holiness can become a bad word in some people's mouth. But the longer I live, the longer I walk in this world, the more I realize how important it is in a wicked and perverse world to be holy, to be moral. Not the morality of this world that's watered down, but the morality of God. Holiness comes from God and His Word. It's that phrase that says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. It's lifting up holy hands. And Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 would be just a small snapshot of it. Finally, brothers, whatever things are true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there be anything worthy of praise, that's what you think on. Keep your mind pure. Guard what you see. Guard what you hear. Guard what you say. Keep your life moral. It's that trait of a superhero of that great sense of responsibility. And again, I quote, with great power comes great responsibility. Being a dad is not a biological act alone. It's a responsibility. Being a husband is not a legal union. It's a responsibility. It's one that ought to weigh on each and every one of us. You have to take ownership, take responsibility. In fact, let me help you. There's two places that... I really want to hit today that you need to take responsibility. The first one is take responsibility of your own body and of your own flesh. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16 says, Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. I warn you, as I've warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, fruitfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against those things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us keep step by the Spirit. Paul goes on to say in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I've been crucified with the flesh. It's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives with me and lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Men... It starts with you. It's like the 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 when you when you fly and it says if the if the uh, you know we happen to lose cabin pressure and the little oxygen mask come down, put it on you first, then put it on your family. Be responsible for your own life, your own actions, your own thoughts, your own ways that you are, and then second, be responsible for your wife. Be responsible for your family. Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body in itself, his Savior. Headship, my friend, is not being the big boss. Headship is not uh, uh, do as I say. Instead, it's loving leadership. 
When the Bible says that your bride is the weaker vessel, it's not an insult. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. It's a compliment. It's not that she's less valuable. It's that she's more fragile. One person said it like this. Women are like fine silk. Men are like corduroy. Of silk and corduroy, which is more fragile silk would be? Which is more valuable silk would be? In God's wisdom, he's designed that every family have a head. It's not as much of a privilege as it is a responsibility. And perhaps I could say it this way, the hardest thing that each one of us men will ever do is to be a good and godly husband and a good and godly father. It's sad when you read in 1 Samuel that Eli could run the temple of God but couldn't run his family. It's sad when you look at David in 1 Kings chapter 5 or chapter 1 that he could run a kingdom and lead men into battle but he could not lead his own children. And so it is that I tell you husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water by the word. Be responsible for your family. The next one of the superhero traits is that tolerant to pain. and I know us men, we're tough. I get that. But I've learned in my life that you can live long enough that pain will come. Heartbreaking pain. Those moments of pain. Listen to me, my friend. There's moments of pain when a child leaves the truth, a moment of pain where you walk through valleys of death and of sorrow. You'll experience loneliness. You'll experience heartache. Every superhero will. But the thing is to know this. He's with you. He walks with you in the shadows of death. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 8, and just recently I read it again and, and, and saw it maybe in a different light. It's where we talk about the thorn that was in Paul's flesh, and the understanding is we, we may never know exactly what it is. It, perhaps it was a physical element. Perhaps it was a, a spiritual battle. Maybe it was a temptation. We may never know, and... Paul said three times I prayed, I pleaded with the Lord that, that he would take it away and this is the answer the Lord comes back in the time of, of, of Paul's pain. He says, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. And this is where the Lord began to show me I'm content with weakness. I'm okay with insults. I'm okay of hardships and persecutions and calamities. For when I'm weak, with him, I'm strong. Perhaps the greatest trait of a superhero is how they handle the painful times. They don't throw in the towel. They don't give up. They don't give in. They simply say, when I'm weak, I'm strong. The trait of courage. In fact, if you would just go type into your, your, your concordance courage, you find over and over and over from the Old to the New Testament, be strong and be of good courage. When we talked 
in those Wednesday night series, What Makes a Man, one of the lessons was on courage. And you know how it is after you preach, or at least it is for me after I preach, I always find stuff I wish I'd have found when I was studying for that lesson because that would have been perfect for what I was talking about. Second Chronicles chapter 15, it's part of that, that secession of kings and Judah and Israel and you see just snapshots, sometimes just a part of a chapter, maybe a whole chapter and it's the, the snapshot of a king and here you find the king Asa and God comes to Azariah the son of Obed who was a prophet and he comes to Asa the king and he says hear me, the Lord is with you while you're with him. If you seek him, he'll be found by you. If you forsake him, he'll forsake you. He goes on to talk a little bit about the history and how far that Israel has run from God. And he, he begins to say, they're broken in pieces. The nations have been crushed. But take courage. Asa hears the words. He hears the prophecy. And this is what the Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 15. And verse 8, as soon as Asa heard these words, the prophecy of Azariah, the son of Obed, he took courage and he put away the detestable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and the cities that he had taken in the hill country of Ephraim. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the vestibule of the house of the Lord. He gathered those. He brought them together. They sacrificed. They entered into a covenant to seek the Lord. In fact, verse 16 shows exactly how much courage Asa had. Even Maka, his mother, King Asa removed from being queen because she had made a detestable image for Asherah. Asa cut down her image, crushed it, burned it in the, at the brook of Kidron. Can I implore you? fathers can I implore you husbands have courage to do what's right in your family courage is standing and making decisions for your own family that the other people in this world may not understand when you say son or daughter or you look at your, your family, your spouse and you say I, don't, I feel we ought not do that or I feel we need to do this. It takes courage to stand for truth. Last night around the dinner table we had or, or, or lunch table we had a, a discussion because I read an article uh, yesterday in, in, on the news, KSDK in, on their, their, their website and I believe if I understood the article correctly today, uh, tonight, a, a new episode of My Little Pony will come out. My daughter loves that show. But tonight, they will introduce a lesbian couple on the My Little Pony. I had to have a hard conversation. But it takes courage. It's author, the, what used to be on PBS, I don't know if it is now, but author has already introduced a homosexual couple. It takes courage to stand. It takes courage to be strong. It takes courage to make hard decisions. It takes courage to say no. It takes courage to lead. If you're going to be a superhero, you've got to have courage. And finally, it's having that fighting spirit. We may not put on the capes. We may not put on the bad armor. We may not put on the tridents and the gauntlets. 
we may not wield the whip. But the Bible says in Ephesians, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand against the schemes and the wiles of the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. The belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of peace for your shoes, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, sword of the Spirit. Pray all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Fight. Can I just be honest? This world's fighting for your family. This world's fighting for your children. This world's fighting for your marriage. You might want to fight back. And there'll be moments that you'll fail. Every superhero does. Otherwise, the movie would be over in a minute. So you got to at least have a place where they fall so they can make the movie a little bit longer. But you know how it always is. The superhero always wins. Dad, you might have failed in life, in places, and at times. Husbands, you may have failed moments but get back up fight on don't listen to the enemy gloat over your fall I've watched enough superhero movies and read enough superhero comics to know there's always that moment when the superhero's been knocked down he's under a rubble pile of rubble and the enemy goes on this long monologue speech gloating over how they've won they vanquished the superhero and all of a sudden under that rubble a rock starts shaking and one old hand sticks out of it dad, husband dust yourself off get back in the fight your wife needs you your family needs you your children need you fight on Micah says it this way, but as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not against me, O my enemy, for when I fall, I shall arise. And when I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Traits of superheroes. Would you stand with me?